All right, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, and uh, as you're turning there, I, I do, I just want to acknowledge again, Robbie and Rose, thank you for your faithful service, 40 years laboring in one place. Yeah, I, I just feel like that's really worthy of, you know, we, we just don't see that a lot, um, giving your lives to uh, the body of Christ in Italy for 40 years, that's, that's just really uh, inspiring for me and uh, super impressive. Um, I did run into Robbie this week in the hallway, and I said, I know you're not, like, really retiring. <laughs> and he said, no. And he's not, they're not, they're not actually retiring, retiring. They just have more flexibility to spend time with grandkids. But um, they're going to keep serving the church in Italy um, probably till their last breath, because that's just who they are. So thank you for that. Um, all right, Matthew chapter 6, if you haven't turned there already. And I want to begin with a question. Um, have you ever had a conversation with a baby? <laughs> Doesn't work very well, does it? Because they have so many needs and so few words, right? Uh, they're hungry, they cry, they're tired, they cry, they have a tummy ache, they cry, they have a dirty diaper, they cry, or they sleep, right? So they sleep or cry, that's kind of all that they, that they ever do, and uh, they just can't communicate much. So when in, they have any of these needs, what do they do? They're just, they just cry, right? And, um, and then every once in a while, their um, parents who have been tortured by them through sleep deprivation, uh, they get this little smile and they go, all worth it, right? It's all worth it. And then the first syllable comes out, ma, and the mom goes, oh my gosh, she loves me, she knows me, right? And never mind the fact that that's the most simple syllable for any human to say, but no, like, you know, ma, da, da, ba, ba, da, and a little syllable start coming out, and then, and then a word comes out, and then a phrase comes out, right? And they begin to grow in their ability to communicate. I remember when one of our kids was little, uh, that particular child, uh, first uh, kind of lengthy phrase was, uh, me don't like. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it was really clear. We knew exactly what that child was thinking, and the grandparents thought that was really cute. Um, it wasn't. But um, that's kind of where we all start, it's, it's so far in the past, we don't remember it, but that's where we all start. We have this inherent longing and desire and really need to communicate, but we don't know how to communicate, but we listen and we learn and we imitate and we practice and we get better and better and better, and that's exactly the same as it works in our relationship with the Lord. Prayer is learning the language of heaven and learning to communicate with God, And we're not born knowing how to communicate. We have to listen, and we have to learn, and we have to practice. And as we do, we get better and better and better at communicating with the Lord. And so what I wanted to do this morning is I, wanna, I want us to stir that, that longing up again. Because I think what happens as we grow older is um, we get distracted. And so we, we stop practicing prayer or learning our prayer, our language, and getting better at it. Or we get discouraged. We've asked for something. We've asked over and over and over again, and we didn't get it, so we get discouraged. And what I want to do over the next few weeks is just stir up that desire again, uh, just to grow in our ability to communicate with the Lord. So what we're going to do is we're going to go into Jesus' master class on prayer. We're going to be talking about uh, the Lord's Prayer. And I want to remind you, remember, Jesus had 12 uh, really close disciples. He had lots of followers, but he had 12 who were really close to them, and they, they, they ate with Jesus, and they slept with Jesus, and they walked with Jesus, and they talked with Jesus. They heard him teach. They heard him preach. They saw him heal. But what's interesting is we don't have any record of them ever saying to Jesus, teach us how to teach. But they did say, teach us how to pray, which I find really interesting because 
these men all grew up in a praying culture. So they were taught in their home, as soon as they were taught to speak, they were taught how to pray. There were daily prayers that were recited at every meal, and there were weekly prayers at Sabbath, and there were monthly prayers, and there were annual prayers when, when they went to the feasts and the festivals, and there weren't just prayers at home, there were prayers in the synagogues, prayers by their parents, prayers by their, the rabbis and family members and friends, right? So they're surrounded constantly by prayer, and yet when they heard Jesus pray, they said, we don't know anything about prayer. Because what you're doing is it's so much deeper and more intimate. It's almost as if you have a relationship with God as your father. And so they said to him, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? And so what we want to do for the next four weeks is we want to listen to Jesus and we want to learn from Jesus and let Jesus, in a sense, teach us again how to pray. So if you're not there already, I want you to turn with me. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start reading in verse 5. Jesus says, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. So what I want you to notice first, verse 5, the first phrase, when you pray, is that Jesus assumed that they were praying. He just didn't assume that they were praying well, right? So he says, you know what, here's where we're going to start. Rather than instructing you exactly how to pray, I'm going to tell you how not to pray. Okay, don't do this. First, don't pray to impress. Prayer is about a relationship with your heavenly Father. It's not to impress the people around you. So he says, what I want you to do is I don't want you to pray like the hypocrites who find a great prominent place in the synagogue or they stand on the street corners and then they start to pray. They can't wait to pray until they can get in front of people and then they start to pray. And he says, these are the people who are hypocrites. And I just discovered this week, I had never noticed this before, but there's one person in the New Testament who talks about hypocrisy more than any other person. You know who that is? Jesus, right? Jesus, almost every reference that seems like to hypocrisy is in the Gospels. Jesus really hated hypocrisy. Uh, He really did much better with uh, just, in a sense, outright immorality than self-righteousness and hypocrisy. He really, really despised that. And that word that's chosen here for, for hypocrite, it's a Greek word, and in Greek culture, it referred to literally actors. So the actors would come out to stage And you knew what character they were representing because they'd hold a mask in front of their face. And then they'd go behind stage and they'd get a different mask and they'd come out as a different character. That is a hypocrite. It's the person who's wearing a mask. And he says, this is the person who's praying not to God and for God, but for others. Once you hold your place here in Matthew 6 and turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 8, or 18, excuse me, Luke 18, and verse 9. Luke 18 and verse 9. And Jesus told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they viewed other people with contempt. 
Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like uh, this tax collector standing over here. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who humbles, who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted, because what God really cares about is your heart. And so notice it says, the Pharisee stood and he was praying this way to himself. And he had all of the words right and all of the prayers memorized. Everything sounded incredibly beautiful and eloquent. But there was no heart behind it. And all that Jesus really cares about is, is the heart, the disposition of the heart. And so who is praised in this is actually the tax collector, the one who has made an agreement with Rome and has betrayed his people. But he's broken because of his sin, and he won't even lift up his eyes, and he prays to God because his heart is right before God. So Jesus says this, don't, don't pray to impress, don't pray for others, because prayer is about your relationship with God, and that's it. There's a really fascinating study that was done in 2010 by Tufts University, and they interviewed pastors who were secretly atheists. This one of them, a man named Adam, ironic, right, <laughs> uh, was asked uh, how he handled the dissonance between being a pastor and also being an atheist. He said this, here's how I'm handling my job on Sunday mornings. I see it as play acting. I kind of see myself as taking on a role of a believer in a worship service and performing because I know what to say. I know how to pray publicly, and I can lead singing. I love singing. I don't believe what I'm saying anymore in some of these songs, but I see it as taking on the role and performing. Maybe that's what it takes for me to get myself through this, but that's what I'm doing. Because I do kind of feel hypocritical. It used to be the word hypocritical was like a sin. I don't hold that view anymore. Okay, so that's an extreme example, right? But my question for you is, when are you at your spiritual best? Okay, are you at your spiritual best on Sunday mornings? Man, that's the high point. Are you your spiritual best when you're in Bible study with your roommates? Are you in your spiritual best when you go to, to breakaway? Are you on your spiritual high when you're posting on Instagram a picture of your Bible, super marked up? Maybe the only page that's marked up. Right. When are you at your spiritual best? When you're in front of others, or when you're alone with the Lord. So remember the context here, if you want to turn back to Matthew 6, is uh, the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' uh, longest recorded sermon, and in my view, it's, it's an exposition of the law. As the law was intended to be applied, right? So it's the heart of the law, the essence of the law, which, according to Jesus, is about the heart, not just keeping a list of rules and regulations as the Pharisees had interpreted it and broken it down to 613 commands, most of them negative, a few of them positive. Jesus is expositing the law and saying, here's, here's the heart of law. Here's what God had intended in the law. It's, it's a matter of your relationship with the Lord, not just keeping 
the rules and regulations. It's not about performance. It's not about ritual. So notice what he says in chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. It's not about the public display of your righteousness. But where is your heart? One verse earlier, chapter 5, verse 48. It says, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Or as we looked at in the book of James, same word. You're to be complete, whole, mature. You're to become like your heavenly Father. That's God's intention for you, to be like the Father, a transformed life. Mercy, kindness, compassion toward others. So that's why he says, if you look back in chapter 5, verse 20, you have heard it said you shall not commit adultery. That is, you've heard lots of sermons from the Pharisees, don't commit adultery, don't commit adultery, don't commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his, in her heart, in his heart, right? He's saying, look, both are bad. But really what God wants is a heart that's so transformed that we don't lust or long for things that God has not given to us. Or notice what he says in verse 43. For you have heard it said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. That is, so that you can reflect the family. Be like your Father. You've heard it said, but I say to you, here's really the essence of the law. It's not about keeping a list of rules externally, but a heart that's transformed, that actually loves what God loves, values what God values. That's what God is after. So right here in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus points them to the three primary, in a sense, spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines. And what he's going to say is, you know, you can go through these spiritual disciplines in a, in a way in which you're trying to earn God's favor, you're trying to impress the people around you, but really these disciplines are just gifts from God to you to draw you into relationship with him deeper. So he, he's going to talk about giving to the poor, and he's going to talk about praying, and he's going to talk about fasting, and he's going to say, look, don't just go through the motions to impress the people around you or to earn God's favor. These are just moments in which you can enter into the presence of God so that he can reshape what you love. So you stop loving the world, and you love what really matters. And that's why God's given you the gift of prayer. So what's the opposite, then, of praying hypocritically? It's praying sincerely. The opposite of praying hypocritically is to pray sincerely. That is, uh, tell God everything. Be honest with God. Why? Because nothing surprises him. Right? You're, there's nothing you can say to God and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. hold on, we've got to reevaluate the relationship. And friends tell friends everything. That's what friends do. Because they trust one another and they're honest with one another. Now, I remember when my kids were... Uh, they and their friends were just first starting to date. And uh, we're having a conversation. I said, you know, so so-and-so, they're, they're dating now. And I remember both my kids, they were both in the room. They go, no, 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 that's not how it works now. They're not dating. You don't understand how, how it works now. They're just talking. I go, oh, really? Okay, well, you know what? Please uh, educate me <laughs> on all this. You know, apparently I know something. I got it right once. But whatever. Go ahead. You know, tell me. Educate me. I'm like, so you're, you know, what you're telling me is, like, he asks her to go have coffee, she says yes, they go out together, just the two of them, and they have coffee, and then he asks her to go to the park and have a picnic, and 
He asked her, she says yes, and they go to the park and have a picnic. And he's only asking her to do these things, and she's only saying yes to him to do these things. But they're not dating. They're just talking, right? Okay, okay, whatever, whatever. And I say, you know, here's the deal. They go through this lengthy explanation of all the new vocabulary and what it all means and how the process works and how it doesn't work. Hey, look, it's same process, new vocabulary, whatever. Let me just tell you. Dating is simply defined as selective deceit. Okay? You're like, oh my gosh, he's so cynical. <laughs> True, I am. Um, it is, right? You're just, you're just putting the best foot forward and hiding the junk, right? <laughs> that's what you do. And, you know, do it long enough and well enough, she says, yes, I, I will, right? And so that's what I, I did it well once. Here we are. You're like, where, where are you going with this? <laughs> Aren't you? Yeah. Here's what I'm saying. Don't pray like you date. That's my point. Don't pray like you date. And actually, stop dating like you date. Right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> date better. Um, date better. Um, the opposite of hypocrisy is sincerity. It is honesty. It is truthfulness. Uh, Frederick Buchner wrote a book. Love this book. It's his, it's his uh, autobiography. It's called Telling Secrets. He grew up in a really rough, rough home environment. And he actually waited till both of his parents had passed, and then he wrote his autobiography. And uh, it's a really, really good book. But he says this in the introduction. It says, the human family all has the same secrets, which are both very telling and very important to tell. They're telling in the sense that they tell what is perhaps the central paradox of our condition, that what we hunger for perhaps more than anything else is to be known in our full humanness, and yet that is often just what we also fear more than anything else. Catch that? What we long for more than anything else is to be completely and fully known. It's also what terrifies us. If people really knew, would they stay in relationship with us or would they reject us? And the point is this, God won't. If there is one absolutely, completely safe and secure relationship that you have here on this earth right now, it is with God. You cannot tell him anything that will surprise him. So when you come to him, be honest, be open, be sincere, lay it all out there. He actually knows things about you that you don't understand about yourself. There's no point in holding back. Be honest, be open. The opposite of praying hypocritically is to pray sincerely. The opposite of praying hypocritically is to pray secretly. Jesus will say, rather than praying to impress or praying for show, verse 6, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. Now, Jesus is not saying that you can only pray secretly, right? I think Jesus is, is uh, using hyperbole here. I think he uses hyperbole throughout the Sermon on the Mount to catch their attention, right? I mean, cut off your hand, gouge out your eye. I mean, it's, it's hyperbolic language. He grabs their attention. So he's not saying only pray in secret. In fact, Jesus did pray publicly. He prayed in front of his disciples. He prayed in crowds. Uh, Jesus didn't own a house, so he didn't own a closet, right? He didn't actually always pray in his closet. He prayed out in fields, it seems like, most of the time. I think what he's saying is simply this. We should be deeper in our communication with God in private than we are in public. We should be better, in a sense, in private than we are in public because relationships are one-on-one -on -one and they're built in private. They're built in, in secrecy and then there's an overflow in public. But fundamentally it starts 
of the depth of communication that happens one-on-one in private, not for public consumption. Third, the opposite of praying hypocritically is to pray humbly. Pray humbly. Uh, Matthew, or Luke 18, the parable we, we just read, it says uh, the Pharisee, who's also labeled the hypocrite, is standing. He's standing. The tax collector won't even lift up his eyes. Pray humbly. Pray humbly. As Ty read earlier, Psalm 95, verse 6 says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And the word for worship in Hebrew literally means fall down. Right, fall down. And if you're falling down, you can only look up to see God. God is above. It's an acknowledgement that God is, he's the creator of all things. He, is, he has all wisdom, all knowledge, all power. He is completely and utterly holy. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord so that he can exalt you. He can lift you up. Humble yourself. Because only God is great. In fact, we have no right to, to come into God's presence apart from the fact that Jesus welcomes us in, right? We have, we have to have an advocate. We have to have Jesus saying, Father, this is my friend. Brian is here. Let Brian come in. On my own, I'm not, I'm not worthy to enter the presence of the creator and judge of the universe apart from the fact that I have an advocate in Jesus. As Paul will say in 1 Timothy chapter 2, there's one God, there's one mediator also between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. We get to come into the presence of God because Jesus has removed separation and allowed reconciliation. Because he's removed our debt of sin that creates separation, and he welcomes us into the presence of God, and God says, yes, you can come because you're covered by the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. I always welcome my son. I always want my son in, and any of my son's friends can come into my presence, right? That, that's what the gospel is about. So I want to encourage you, if you've never started a relationship with God, you can't actually have a relationship with God other than through Jesus Christ. Jesus would say, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's, it's perfectly exclusive. So you want, you want a relationship with the creator of the universe, you gotta come through me. You've got to believe that I died to pay for your sins. And let me encourage you, if you've never said to Jesus, thank you. Thank you for removing my debt of sins. Thank you for allowing me to have a reconciliation and relationship with the creator of the universe. You've never just said to Jesus, thank you. Maybe this morning is your moment. Maybe you've been coming to church your whole life. Maybe you learned prayers as you were growing up. Maybe you recited the Lord's Prayer before your soccer games like I did. Maybe you know all kinds of prayers. And maybe you, you've, you've called them out time after time after time, but you, you don't know if you have a relationship with God through Jesus. This morning can be your moment where you just say to Jesus, yes, thank you. And then what happens is God welcomes our inarticulate prayers, right? We, we start with a syllable, and then we do two syllables, and then we do a phrase, and we, we listen, and we learn, and we imitate, and the relationship gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper because that's what God longs for. That's what God longs for. He longs for genuineness in our relationship with him. And the greatest gift that he's given to us to move us toward him is the word that speaks to us in prayer where we talk back and speak to the Lord. So Jesus says first, don't pray to impress. Second, don't pray to manipulate. Verse 7, and when you are praying, again, assuming that they're praying, but not that they're doing it well. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, 
for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. The word that he uses there for uh, meaningless repetition is a word that's actually used only one time in the entire Greek New Testament, and it means uh, to speak without thinking. Meaningless, meaningless repetition, to speak without thinking. He's saying don't pray without engaging your heart in sincerity and your mind in truth. Don't pray like the Gentiles. How did the Gentiles pray? Well, they prayed using meaningless repetition, right? Words and syllables that they just repeated over and over and over again to the point where their minds weren't even engaged at all. Why? Because they had a very low view of their gods, right? So you pray in a way that reflects what you believe about the nature of God. So they thought that there were God, their gods were just like people with a bit more strength. Right? So they're more like superhuman, but still human. So they took vacations, they had to take naps, they'd stop and have a meal, they'd get distracted. So they had to use lots of words and lots of volume to get their attention. Uh, it was said that uh, in uh, uh, Ephesus, they worshiped uh, Artemis or Diana, and they had like dozens of names for her. And so what they do is they'd memorize all the names and they'd call all the names out over and over and over and over and over again because they're trying to get Diana's attention or Artemis' attention. They're trying to get her attention and she might not be paying attention or she might be distracted. Remember a couple weeks ago, we, we uh, kind of looked at again the, the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Remember the prophets of Baal? They've got a low view of their God. He gets weary and has to rest. He sleeps during winter and has to be woken up again. He hibernates. Uh, he goes away on vacation. He might not be in his home. And so they have to yell and scream louder and louder and just trying to get his attention. And so they start cutting themselves. Hey, maybe this will wake him up that we really need him to pay attention. Remember, Elijah mocks them. <laughs> hey, maybe, he's, maybe he's taking a nap. Or literally, he's like, maybe it's a euphemism. Says, maybe he went into the inner room, which means maybe he's in the bathroom. I mean, he's just completely sarcastic. Your prayer reflects what you believe about God. So what is prayer? Prayer is it's communication, it's communion, it's the essence of a relationship of love with the creator of the universe. And so what Jesus is admonishing here is that we not misunderstand the nature of God and the nature of our relationship with God. So if you're in a relationship with somebody and you say the same thing to them over and over and over and over and over again, it might be called nagging, right? It might be a little annoying, right? Imagine I come home in the evening and you go, honey, I'm home. What's to eat? 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 What are we going to eat? What are we going to eat? Is dinner ready? Is dinner on the table? What are we going to eat? What are we going to eat? I can tell you, that doesn't create intimacy. I'm not saying I know that because I tried it. I haven't tried it. I just can imagine that I don't need to try it. That's just annoying. That's annoying. Now, Jesus is not saying that we don't ask for the same things again. But we ask to one who knows us and loves us, right? So in fact, Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked his father for the same thing three times. He kept coming back, asking the same thing. Later in chapter 7, we're going to look at this in just a moment. Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, ask and keep on asking, knock and keep on knocking, right? He's, he tells us, keep coming back. Why? Because God wants to hear everything on your heart, and he doesn't always say yes the first time, and he wants you to be with him, so keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back. But don't ask as if he's taking a nap 
Don't ask as if he, he's not paying attention. Don't ask as if uh, he isn't the sovereign of the universe who sees all things and knows all things. Who are you praying to? Who is this one? You don't have to trick him, and you don't have to wake him up because he's a good heavenly father who actually loves you. Notice what it says again here in verse 8. It says, so do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you even ask him. Same thought is reflected in Isaiah chapter 65. It's the Lord speaking. He says, it will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Because I want to answer them. And I'm a good father. Turn to chapter 7. Matthew verse 7. These are uh, present tense imperatives that means they should read like this. Ask and keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And him who knocks, it will be opened. For what man is there among you who, when his son asks him for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if you ask for a fish, you will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? If you know how to give good gifts, and you were made in the image of God, and any goodness in you is a reflection of the nature of God in you, how much greater is your Father who loves to give good gifts? And if you wonder if Jesus has a sense of humor, he's like talking about giving snakes to kids. That's funny, right? I mean, it's just totally got their attention. Of course not. Of course not. Now, in a couple of weeks, we'll talk about, well, then, why don't we get it the first time we ask? Why does he tell us we need to keep coming back? And why does he say no sometimes? We'll talk, we'll talk about that. But the point is this. He, he loves to give good gifts. And what he wants to give you most of all is he wants to give you his presence. So I don't know if you noticed as we read, but, but in chapter 6, it talks about reward. And in this little section on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about reward ten times. Ten times. Talks about reward in terms of uh, our giving, our praying, our fasting. Ten times. He says the Father wants to reward you. So what's the reward? Well, if the reward is given in secret, I think that it is a depth of intimacy with the Father. That you can't get if you don't pray honestly. You can't get if you're just praying for others to watch. You can't get if you come to church and pray once a year. Right there, it's Fundamentally, remember, this is not about performance. It's not about ritual. It's just about relationship. And if you want to get closer to somebody, what do you have to do? You just have to spend time with them. You have to spend time together. And then the intimacy grows in the relationship. And there's no substitute for time. So uh, how do we apply this? Uh, before I give you specific applications, I want to give you a quote. I love this quote from Eugene Peterson. He said, I can be active and pray. I can work and pray, but I cannot be busy and pray. I cannot be inwardly rushed, distracted, or dispersed. Usually for prayer to happen, there must be a deliberate withdrawal from the noise of the day, a disciplined detachment from the insatiable self. So my exhortation to you this week, I'm going to give you uh, a few resources, is I want you to detach every day for just 15 minutes. 
that you can't be busy, harried, frantic, and be listening to the Lord and speaking to the Lord. We just can't. And 15 minutes a day, for some of you, I'm like, ooh, man, I don't know what I can talk about for 15 minutes. Some of you go, man, I'm, I'm already doing an hour a day. If you're doing an hour a day, how about an hour and a half? I'm just saying stretch. Start somewhere. Um, again, you know, I think the, the thing that's beautiful about the Lord is that uh, he welcomes even our just most inarticulate prayers, our syllable prayers. He welcomes those. He doesn't want us to stay there. He wants to stretch us and grow us. So wherever you are, uh, stretch a little bit. So at least every day, communication with the Father, 15 minutes. I want you to plan this ahead of time. So what I mean by that is um, this afternoon, you know, calendar is king. Make an appointment with God that, that can't be violated. You can label it however you want. You know, if people are looking at your calendar and you don't want them to see exactly what you're doing, I don't care. But label it. You've got an appointment with God for 15 minutes. Um, I would encourage you to um, get a notebook, get a journal, just start writing some stuff down. Some people are great journalers, journalers some are not. It kind of helps me focus in prayer. And I want you to uh, read through the Lord's Prayer. We're going to start getting into it next week. Read through the Lord's Prayer and start making some observations. What's going on in the Lord's Prayer? What are God's priorities? What does he tell us to pray and ask for? And then maybe pray the Lord's Prayer. Not in meaningless repetition, but um, using that as your prayer to the Lord. Or maybe go to the Psalms and pick Psalm 95 and use Psalm 95 as your prayer to the Lord. If you're not sure how to fill uh, 15 minutes Go through uh, acts, adoration. Praise God for his character qualities. We have confession, something that his spirit points out that's broken. Thanksgiving. What do you have in your life to give thanks for? You always have something. Supplication. What needs do you have or friends around you have? Maybe use acts. I tell you, you can, you can, you'll, you'll be able, you'll be shocked at how quickly 15 minutes goes if you're using Psalm 95 or you're using acts or you're using the Lord's Prayer, right? So set aside a time when you're undistracted. People cannot get, get at you. Uh, husbands, if you have small children at home, I want you to sit with your wife and figure out how can you protect and carve out for her 15 minutes of completely undistracted time for her to be in the presence of the Lord and in prayer. Right, so guard and protect that time for her. Help her get that space because you know her life is just continuously frantic and people are you know yelling syllables at her. Me no like, me no like, whatever uh, they're saying. Right, so. Protect one another. Okay, so mark it out. Make it a calendar moment. Second reminder, this uh, Wednesday, next three Wednesdays, 7 to 8, we're going to have time of prayer, just guided prayer. Uh, just another time to practice and learn and listen and imitate prayer together. And then uh, on our website, we have uh, just a whole page that's got links to resources uh, on prayer. And uh, so I was telling our, our worship team before the service started, the, the best book that I have personally read recently on prayer is Tim Keller's book on prayer. It's just I've read it actually three times now. I love it because he's, he's biblical, theological, historical, really practical. He just kind of attacks the subject of prayer from multiple angles. And the way that I use a book like that is uh, I may read a page or two, and then I just stop. And I use that kind of as, as guidance for my prayer. And I may only get through a page or half page. I'm just using it as a tool to help me learn the language of speaking with the Lord uh, and get better at it. So, uh, there are a few application points for you. I want you to uh, take advantage of the opportunity the next four weeks that we're just going to get better at this. We're just going to dig in deeper, be more intimate with the Lord in our conversation. So, as we close, uh, I want you to bow your heads with me. I'm going to give you a few moments. And 
I'm not gonna tell you, guide you in what to say to the Lord. I just wanna encourage you to be honest. Just be honest. Father, teach us to pray. Teach us how to speak honestly before you. Teach us, guide us, teach us how to speak truthfully so we would understand um, who you are, who we would trust who you are, that you're a, a genuinely good Father who, who loves to give good gifts. Teach us to pray. Teach us to uh, not stay where we are, but to spend more and deeper time speaking to you, listening to you, letting your, your spirit speak to us directly through your word. I pray, Father, that we would, by the end of this four weeks, have a sense that we're not perfect in our communication with you, but we're much deeper, and there's a deeper sense of intimacy, that we've begun to build uh, habits and practices of intimacy with you, with you that, that really will, will grow and continue and carry us through a lifetime. pray, Father, that uh, we would be grateful. What a remarkable thing that the creator of the universe actually wants to be in conversation with us. Thank you for giving us that privilege and opportunity through Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.